Hey y'all, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Bernie Sanders is not asked to be the opening speaker at a women's conference. Feminism isn't based on whether or not you have a daughter. And we always believe women. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Beaver Talk. Diana. Hey, Erin. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm doing great. I feel like it's always just such a joy to sit across the table and podcast with you. I know. I'm excited and a little nervous to talk about, uh, I want to say Trailblazer, Blade (laughs) Runner. We'll see how many times I can accurately talk about, you know, the theme that we're going to talk about today. I know. This one's a fun one because we saw it together. Yeah. And I think we were on the same page for the most part. Yeah. And not on the same page for other parts. For those of you who are listening, I have a 600-page book called Film Noir sitting in front of me, The Making of Blade Runner. That Diana wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I was so inspired that I just (laughs) comprised interviews with Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott. No, it's not true. Our wonderful producer, Kent, brought this book today because he knew we were going to be talking about it. So thank you, Kent, for bringing in Film Noir, Future Noir. Whatever this book is. Anyways, (laughs) we're going to be talking about Blade Runner. But first, let's do a check-in. How are you feeling? How's the popular culture circuit? What are you listening to? What are you reading? Um, First of all, I just want to do a formal thank you for the Levy family. I want to thank Canada for Eugene and Daniel and for their Schitt's Creek show that I think the CBC produced. Um, It has been giving me life, and I am so attracted to Dan Levy, like it's <laughs> your eyes just like bugged out of your head. I am like obsessed with him. So I've really been um, enjoying watching that and coming home and kind of diving into the first season and excited to get into the second season. I mean, welcome to the party. I've loved Dan Levy since he was hosting the after show on MTV Canada with Jesse Cruikshank. What? He's been around in other things. I love this man when I was in grade 10. Really? So that would have been 2000. I love how like sexually ambiguous he is. I love like his clothes. Like, he's not sexually ambiguous in real life. He's not? No. Does he play like a caricature of himself on the show? Yes. I just want him to be who he is on the show. I mean, I think he's better than who he is on the show. Really? He's lovely. He's a lovely person, and I'm sure And you've listened to RuPaul's interview with him. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to it again now that I'm a real super fan. Mm-hmm. He's really an interesting person, um, and his cultural commentary on the after show was really formative. The after show is the most boring name for a show I've ever heard. So it was After the Hills, and it was based on um, MTV's after show as well. Because it was like, after the show, what are we watching? The after show. Ugh. It was, no, you do not get to sign the after show. It was literally I'm sure it was a great thing. show, but could it seems like kind of a dumb name. Whatever. All right. Let it go. I'm so excited that he has been in popular culture for so long. Well, Eugene Levy is like a Canadian icon and an American icon of comedy. Yeah, the coolest thing about Dan Levy is that um, he never named his dad. He would always, you know, he's been a part of the pop culture circuit through his family his entire life, but... Mm-hmm. On MTV, they really gave him his own space to 
the sister or his persona? identity. Did yeah. they talk about his sister at all? No. She's in the show too. No. And he really, there was one episode where Jesse lets it slip that they're going to call his dad. Mm-hmm. And you just see him go bright red. And he's just like, oh my God, don't mention my dad. And it's really adorable. It's really That's sweet. cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. He's such a thoughtful um, creator. He's such a thoughtful and, and meaningful producer. And what he's done with Shit's Creek has really... Um, just brought joy. It's so fun. It's yeah. so like light and easy and yeah. stupid and he's so great in it. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. What have you been kind of into? I've been listening to Dissect. Oh, you're welcome. Which, thank you for pointing have in my you, direction. Are you listening to this podcast? No. Are you a Kanye West fan? Ugh, then whatever to you. <laughs> so for those d- yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so you don't know. Um, Dissect is a serialized podcast that digs into various rap albums. So they do My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. They do To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. There's only been two seasons. Um, there's only been two seasons, I've just yeah. been told. So that's it. Though just those two. But the um, reason that I wanted Diana to listen to it is because they do a monster episode where they dissect Nicki Minaj's monster verse. And it is it gives you so much life as a woman, to just hear the power that she's talking about in this, it is, like, I think it's transformative. It's I literally so felt like Rocky jogging up the steps and, like, putting my fists in the air in this episode. I was mm-hmm. so empowered because I love rap music and dissecting the lyrics is something that I've always done. And mm-hmm. so it's just so validating for me, not only as, like, a fan and a listener, but also, like, to hear... When I first heard Nicki Minaj's verse on Monster, I was like, oh my God, this is literally I just play it over and over when I need it. (laughs) But then to know that Kanye West almost didn't put it on the album because he felt threatened. Because it was so good. Oh my God. It's such a delight. Anyways, that's what I've been doing. I've also Also, been... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say for those people who don't know, I'm like obsessed with Kanye West and we consider ourselves a Kanye family. Whatever that means. And um, so that's just a side note. That's a Kanye family as opposed to a Lil Wayne family. Correct. Gotcha. It's weird that I know that about you. And I know exactly how this came up, too. Well, we were in the car on the way back from D.C. listening to music. (laughs) And the way that your husband just nodded in agreement, like, yeah. Yeah, we are a Kanye Kanye family. To be clear. Yeah. Just so you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've also been marathoning Will and Grace. Good. Which, for those of you who haven't, yeah, Hulu has brought in some old school shows back. Family Matters is on Hulu. Did you watch Family Matters in Canada? I missed it. I missed it. It was on, but I missed it. Well, it's your loss. I mean, I've been able to live my life without it. Family Matters was like such an iconic like TGIF moment. Do you know what that is? Yeah. You didn't watch Boy Meets World? I didn't love Kent, it. Kent, back me up here. Did you watch Boy Meets World? I watched it, but I didn't love it. I thought the Topanga... You didn't love Boy Meets World? Here's my problem. Boy Meets World was the sex in the city of my elementary school Oh, years. everyone was way too good. Everyone was just so good all the time. It was what? just like, there was no like... Ryder Strong was so cute. He was always was getting into trouble. Yeah. That is the actor's name, which I know, of course. You know, it's something weird that my brother used to do. He like knows, you know, in the credits where they like show the names of like Tracy Gold and like all the people from he would like, (laughs) this is not important at all, but he used to say them out loud as like before they came on screen. And we used to be like, wow, Tyler knows the names of like all the, anyway. (laughs) 
There you go. Side note. Everyone who's a part of it. So I've been listening to that podcast. I've been watching Will and Grace. I'm really excited to watch the newest season. I think that's a really fun revamp. Um, also, Blackish did this really great episode about slavery um, that was phenomenal, like diving into it. And I feel like they continue to really bring racial identity in American culture to the forefront. And I just want to say that I'm proud of the creators and the cast for doing that. And I am really into it. And that's I, really nice. Yeah. Just a little shout out to them. I haven't watched it, you know, and I think that that's been a gaping hole in my popular culture to like digest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I need to get into Blackish, but there's just something about I it. I love that Tracy feels a Ellis little, Ross. I love her. I mean, what's not to love, really? Did you watch her 72 questions on Vogue.com? <gasps> no, but I saw it and I mentally was like, come back to that. And I haven't yet. I meant to share it with you. So there you go. We're all feeling. She's um, so great. She's so... She's such a throwback to like the old like starlets. Mm-hmm. She's just so, but then there's this like really real aspect to her where she's like not performing all the time. She's like a very grounded woman. Yeah. And then when you find out who her mother is, I mean. Yeah. It's just earth shattering. The layers are delightful. Mm-hmm. So we need to get into the topic of today's conversation. Erin and I are not on the same page about Blade Runner. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Well, you know, to be honest, I feel like I need to come up front and name something that's really going to shape the narrative of this podcast about this movie. And that is that, and this is going to be shocking, but I do not like Ryan Gosling. I don't get why not. I didn't like him in The Notebook. I didn't like him in La La Land. I think he's a good actor. This, I, th- I don't think this is anything like about his craft. I just feel like, you know how, like, some people you get and some people you don't? I just don't emotionally connect to him. And so I felt myself really struggling with him being the lead of, like, I don't, like, I don't, I'm not, like, in love with this person. I don't see myself reflected in their character choices. I just felt very disconnected. So I want to start by saying, like, if the lead had been somebody else, maybe I would have been more in it. But I think automatically just casting him, for whatever reason, I'm just not, I'm not a Ryan Gosling. Fair enough. Do you like Harrison Ford? I thought we could have lost that whole section, honestly, which we'll, I guess we'll get into. But I, yeah, Harrison Ford's fine. Okay. I don't dislike Harrison Ford. All right. He's like a gruff old man at this point. You know, it's hard when a, it's hard when a movie fundamentally miscasts the lead. Because there Do you th- feel like he was miscast? or no, did- I thought he was fabulous. Okay, well, there you go. I don't have any qualms against Ryan Gosling. I think that he is almost a silent film actor in his career, which is really interesting. He's done. He's pulling a Nicole Kidman in that he takes roles that don't have a lot of lines. Yeah, Sal kind of mentioned that too. Is he The reason he was explained to me he liked Ryan Gosling is he felt like he was silent. And you were able to project yourself on him, which I, I, again, I guess maybe I just am not, not with him. Yeah, you know, I think he's, I think it's a really interesting choice he's making to almost do like the George Clooney school of acting where he's conveying a lot through his facial features and in Mm -hmm. his body, but not through words. And I think that that's a really interesting take. You want to know who I would have cast as him? Yes, please tell me. Um, My first choice would have been Diego Luna from Star Wars. Diego Luna from Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, get it right. Now we know. Now the record is straight. <laughs> Love that man. I feel like the Star Wars movie, I'm not a Star Wars person. Obviously, we're seeing a theme in the media that I'm relating to, but he was so good in that and so charming and such a movie star. 
And I thought he was really great. I could have emotionally emoted with him for this movie. Okay. Um, and then I also said Mahershala Ali because I think he's going to be an iconic superstar. Can we put him in every movie ever? Yeah. Can he just constantly be in all of the films? And I also feel like there was kind of a disconnect just from the storyline of this movie. And maybe it's like a historical thing or whatever. But I didn't feel any stakes when they were talking about – and obviously we're going to do spoilers so we're going to talk about the movie. But there's like this um, – like the old models and the new models of the replica – replicans? Replicas? Replicants. Thanks, Ken. Uh, <laughs> replicants. Um, that thought sounded very sassy, but I felt like there was no stakes in like their relationship with each other and then their relationship with humans. Like I couldn't tell who was who, like even That's there, the point, though. there was one scene though where Ryan Gosling like walks into the, to the police station and people are like mean to him like one time. And I was like, are we, are we repressing them? Like what's happening? Like I didn't feel like the stakes, nobody, nobody seemed to be like, do you know what I'm saying? I didn't really care about what was going on. I think this is where it would have been helpful to see the first movie yeah okay because that's a very much fundamental part is like you don't really know yeah and there's so everyone's kind of it's like an every man for himself situation interesting yeah but I guess if if we're in this every man situation but like are we differentiating the way we're treating people like are we oppressing the robots because like what's going on I guess I didn't feel that I think that this film assumed a lot of knowledge I think it assumed you know even in the way that it was marketing the film, like, it only released one trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you either get it or you don't. Yeah. You either get Blade Runner and you get this world that we're now going to bring back to your screen, mm-hmm. or you don't. Yeah. And it's been not performing at the box office, so I think it'd be interesting to look at why. Well, I think that part aside, I think there are other big plot points that I felt like they could have hit on harder. And the pacing and, like, the structure of the story, I think if they would have tightened those, I would have been more invested in general. So I think that was one of the fundamental things that I felt like missed the mark for me as far as like when they were talking about like join the revolution. I was like, well, what's going on? Do we even care about that? Like they tried to make that into a thing. And then I was worried they were going to do like a 40 minute battle scene. I was like, where are we? He knows it's not him. Wrap it up. Like, what are we doing? Safe to say that Aaron would have ended this film 45 minutes in. I mean, I think the crescendo of it totally missed the mark, I think, for me. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I was with... So for the first half of the film, you know, you're following the protagonist, Kay, played by Ryan Gosling, um, as he is the Blade Runner looking for the replicants, killing them. Um, And then it kind of comes to light that he might not be a replicant, that there was a child that was born, Mm -hmm. um, and he has to find the child as part of the LAPD, and he ends up finding Harrison Ford. And it was at that moment that the film lost me completely because Mm -hmm. I was almost in this, like, dreamlike state for the first half. I was almost, like, I was with Ryan Gosling. There was such little dialogue that you just kind of were consumed by the visuals and by by the audio, by the Mm -hmm. way, the director, Denis Villeneuve, um, also directed Sicario, which is one of the best films I have ever watched. Really? Yes. He has a history of promoting very strong women on screen and promoting really interesting narratives about minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was already Which on board. Which there were none in this movie. Right. But we're also, we'll get to that. Sure. It's on my list. Um, he also did Arrival. So it's... Oh, I loved Arrival. Yes. He's an incredible director. And so mm-hmm. for the first half of the film, I really got that feeling of like, okay, like I'm watching... I'm watching one of his films. This is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. And then when Harrison Ford came in, I was like, I'm watching a movie. 
Yeah. This is a movie. I liked Harrison Ford's dog. I loved his dog. What <laughs> happened to the dog? I just left him. Oh, God. <laughs> the movie should have been pivoted to the dog's POV. The dog should have killed the angel. Uh, the angel was the best character, in my opinion. I... Yeah, I, I loved did. her duality of hating Jared Leto and like having Leto, Leto, how do I say his name? Leto. Leto. Um, the duality of like hating him, but then like still wanting to have like this Stockholm syndrome of wanting to be the best for him. Like that line that she says at the end of the fight scene where she's like, I'm the best, I'm the best. And she's like recharging herself. Oh, I lived for her. I really wanted her to end up being the child and having them deal with that situation, <laughs> um, which they did not do, obviously. It's a little complicated, but. Yeah, I think that I was with it for the first half, and then once Harrison Ford came in, it lost me. Um, also, I was very confused by um, Ryan Gosling's like friend, who is a who is a what's a hologram, and like the rules of her hologram life were confusing. <laughs> her hologram life. <laughs> That's series. the name of my next album. Um, <laughs> because I couldn't figure out. Like at times, she was like, "Oh, I heard you talking." Like she's like around. But, like, she can only come in when she's called. Like, she's a genie and a lamp kind of a situation. But then at one point he erases her memory. But then she remembers, like, really liking him in their history. I was, like, so – I thought the narrative there was so bonkers. And it would have been a lot more fun if she had kind of, like, popped in, like, whenever she fucking felt like it now that she was on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't bother me so much. I think I really loved the special effects with, like, her doubling over and, like, Ugh. her walking in and out of him. No, I didn't – I did not like that – remake of that her scene have you seen her yeah it didn't feel like that to it's me. like the, it was like the same thing and I was like this again uh, <laughs> didn't love it I'm like going up to bat here for Blade Runner and I don't know how I got myself in this position <laughs> it was okay I'm glad that it didn't last long I'm not attracted to Ryan Gosling <laughs> so I have a real hard time like do you I not like Ryan Gosling <laughs> I didn't even want to see him, like, romantically with anyone. You're the only woman in the planet. I okay. know. I'm so sorry, guys. Again, where's my tribe here? For the non-Ryans, the non-Friendses. I feel like the Beaver Talk comments are going to blow up in solidarity for you, so don't worry. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think that the aesthetics of the film, I know that's something that you were really, really not into as well. I mean, I thought it was really beautifully shot, and I thought they did um, – I thought my problem was the pacing of the film because I thought they were they probably spent so much time and money and energy on the aesthetic of it that it almost felt like every scene um, it felt a little too precious to me. So they chose visuals over story. So instead of moving the pacing along or, you know, hitting things when it felt I don't know, I think as an editor, sometimes I'm counting in my brain when to move on and I feel that pacing when I'm watching a film. And I know that if I'm thinking about it, it means I'm not emotionally engaged. And so I found myself doing that a lot of like, okay, end scene, end move it. And it, I just felt it was like it was a little bit disjointed. But I will say one of my favorite things, I thought the sound design was phenomenal. And thank God, because I was like, oh, it's emotionally telling me how I'm supposed to feel in this moment. Like, thank God, because I'm really lost. <laughs> I wonder how the director would respond to that it's kind of like a shake your hand and slap you at the other one comment but yeah um yeah I mean he's known for incredible sound design mm -hmm. um I mean have you seen Sicario no oh girl I saw Arrival though I haven't seen Arrival so it's so great except yeah. the the romantic part of that makes no sense 
Oh, yeah, there's like this Which weird is romance. like the whole movie, but it's like all about Amy Adams anyway, so who cares? I don't like Amy Adams. She always looks <sighs> like she's going to cry. I can't. I love her. She just she's always great. looks hurt. She just always looks like, you know who else? You know, she's like Jennifer Connelly. Okay. Always I have no opinions like about Jennifer Connelly. I didn't see Arrival, and I probably need to watch it in order to participate in this conversation. It's really cool. It's like about aliens. I know. I know what <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into aliens in space lately. Really? Yeah. Oh, because you went to NASA? No, I just like during my meditations, like before I used to visualize like a field, and now I visualize being in space. I find it to be grounding. <laughs> really? Yeah. What do you think that's It's something from? RuPaul suggested during one of his podcasts. That's what he does. So I was like, oh, I'll give this a go. Does RuPaul visualize himself in space? Yeah, just like dangling through space and time and what a great image. Yeah. But I think there are some people who like look at space and they like it freaks them out. But yeah. I feel like some people look at it and they feel like small in like a good way. Like being a New Yorker is like you're just one in a pod of millions. Being a New Yorker, you're just dangling in space. Yeah, basically. It's the same thing. I've actually never heard a truer statement. <laughs> <laughs> and I made it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the other thing about Blade Runner that I found to be like, wah, wah, was like the the sexual objectification, the mountains of breasts, the visuals of women just like nude, naked. And I was like, oh, great. In 2049, we're like, still don't have equality. And like, if we're going to use that character trope as, you know, like the sexualization of, it should have been of people. Like there should have been male prostitutes. There should have been... Um, like there should have been an equal space of that. And it just felt like, ugh, we're still living in this horrible misogynistic society where the only thing we're valuing about women is their ability to give birth. Like, great. Totally. I, yeah, I completely agree. It just felt so like, oh, a society in which we objectify women still. Mm -hmm. Like it just was like, I'd love for them to have shown. And this is something that was in the original Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Um, that I think what, I think there was a huge opportunity missed with this film where, they could have brought it into the world we now live in. Right. And they could have updated parts of it to make it like feel a little bit more like something we haven't seen before. And you look like you have a statement. No? I'm only chiming in when asked. That's all. Okay. You looked like you were ready to move on (laughs) that one. But if you want to comment about the aesthetic of... I mean, I mean, I, I, I have. <laughs> I, <laughs> we got him in. Let me just like rail it through the coals and then have you come in and tell us it's your favorite movie. Full disclosure, uh, before, you know, this, this recording, you know, Aaron asked if I could be on mic and I was very reluctant. You know, I, I wanted this to be a discussion with you guys. I was like, okay, I, you know, I, yeah, I have opinions on this movie. This, he bought the pint glasses for it. I bought it. the rocks glasses. <clears throat> Uh, I'll have you know, and I bought four of What's them. What's the difference between a rock glass and a pint glass? Aaron. A, a pint I'm white glass. Trash, I'm sorry. A pint glass is like a beer glass. Yeah, yeah. It's I like know a, what a pint glass is. A rocks glass is like a small whiskey glass. I see. Yes. Like a tumbler. A tumbler. A tumbler. Okay. There you go. Um, it's a dialect thing, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's regional. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, I I, I like the I like the original movie a lot, and you know I had my thoughts on this one. And you're right, I think it does rely a lot on what you know about the original. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps to a fault. Uh, and I thought what you said about 
you know, and here and here's the thing with this movie is it is sort of beholden in several ways to the original, and mm-hmm. especially because you know how New York is kind of like the fifth character in a lot of movies. Yeah, slow pacing is like the fifth character in the original movie. It's very yeah. intentional, and it does uh, it does like simmer and mm-hmm. float in this sort of. Um, you know, beautifully designed. But world. I think slow pacing, and maybe this is not the case of the original, or maybe it is. You can tell me is is to lead to a build, and nope. I didn't feel any release of this. That's interesting. Uh, I, I I guess that no. Well, I, I think that the perhaps what they were trying to do is so the original is they were trying to take this you know sci-fi story and mix it with like a '40s '50s noir type mm-hmm. story, and what they were also trying to do was sort of subvert, like intentionally subvert a lot of the. Uh, sort of status quo of lot, what a lot of that is, like with Deckard, the 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 sort of protagonist of the original, Harrison Ford's character. Mm-hmm. They originally wanted Robert Mitchum to play him, but then he got too old. And then, here's a fun fact. Do you know who they were in talks to play the original Deckard for a while, and then it just dissipated out of nowhere? D- take a guess. So this was made in filming in 81. Mel was Gibson. A- no, but I, 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 you're, I guess you're kind of in the right era, maybe a little bit before. And tr- Sean Connery? No. That's it. That's all I got. Dustin Hoffman. What? Ooh. Isn't that strange? I'm because all in. I love Dustin they, Hoffman. Because they, they had Robert Mitchum, and then they really wanted someone with you know, acting chops, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he was reluctant to do it because he was like, I know my type, you know, and people aren't going to buy this. And so he wanted to do a lot of script rewrites and they were doing it. And then it just kind of became a different thing. And eventually he got kicked off, not, not kicked off. He left the project on his own. And so then they kind of got Harrison Ford uh, out, of, out of nowhere while he was filming Raiders. But they were trying to subvert a lot of like, you know, with the, with the protagonists of like these noir movies, it's a lot of these men who are just like, you know, I'm doing the right thing, you know, and like I, I'm good at, and great at what I do and I'm infallible. And he's not. He's like kind of, you know behind the ball he gets his ass kicked a lot and things like that so they were trying to subvert a lot of things and, and that was intentional i think perhaps that lead up where like you have this slow pacing that leads up to a crescendo or some kind of release with a set piece or something like that mm-hmm. i think they were actually trying to perhaps subvert that as well yeah. and just uh have you sort of think about a lot of what the uh original undertones were in, in the story of the original one which perhaps which is some of the argument of this new one kind of perhaps got lost. There's a lot of questions of what is life and what is life with artificial intelligence. These, uh, these replicants, they're artificial intelligence, they're robots, mm-hmm. they're slaves. They're, they're, they're built and they're meant to be slaves. They got shipped off to a planet to colonize and they originally had a four-year lifespan. Mm-hmm. And then it was, they started rebelling and it's like, okay, Am I alive? Am I, I'm an android. Am I alive? Am I a slave? What rights do I have? Do, do I love and all of these things? And it was a sort of question of humanity. And I feel like, like they kind of did that a little bit. But I guess to your point about like trying to be to honoring the pacing of um, this second film, mm-hmm. like it still needs to be like a good movie, mm-hmm. you know? So like you can't do pacing because you think you should do pacing, mm-hmm. you know? And I know maybe they were trying to honor it. It just, it, it felt like disconnected and maybe because, and I think mostly probably because the storyline just felt a little bit flowy. And, and to your point about Harrison Ford, I feel like what a missed opportunity to show like some kind of father-son connection. Or I feel like the payoff of them 
being in the same room together was like, ooh, now they're going to work together. Now this is going to be like a buddy flick of them, you know, going forward or whatever. And then they're like together and then they're immediately separated. I felt like there was no payoff for him even being there. I also thought like the masculinity of like Ryan Gosling, when he comes in and they're like shooting at each other, he could have been like, hey, I think I'm your son. Like, hello, that's why he's there to get this information. So for them to have that whole fucking battle scene for like what, for machismo value so you can kick the shit out of each other, I was like, boring, speed it up. Let me ask you this. <laughs> what did you think about Harrison Ford as the damsel in distress, which is pretty much the, what he played at the end? Fine. Okay. Didn't strike me really one way or the other. Well, I also you're thought not it was kind it of... to that point, it's like you're not going to have that. I also I felt like it was a bit weird, like how come he couldn't unbuckle his seatbelt? Like, he's just sitting there the whole... It felt so weird. But he did eventually. No, Ryan Gosling saved him. Because he was drowning, remember? Oh, okay. I thought it was, like, a little bit... It felt the stakes didn't feel that high enough. He's going to drown. Sorry, I'm a cold heart. I thought what you said about, you know, trying to update this a little bit and having this uh, future where, yes, there's women objectified, but perhaps there's... Men objectified as well right, because like we're living in this, out, people. in this uh, in this terrible. Where are the Dan Levies like <laughs> <laughs> half naked in a building? Show it to us. Because I was gonna say, where are your like, magic mics? With 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 uh, with a sequel, you are in a world you are sort of beholden to the tropes of the original. But I don't think that would be betraying the original. Like you need to be objectifying women, but I don't think it would have betrayed the original to also be objectifying men as well. I think it's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, and that would have been a really interesting thing to add in there. Yeah. yeah. Also, you let's know talk about the racism of this movie. Oh, go ahead, Diana. <laughs> Pin in that. Um, a film that I feel like really, you know, built upon a franchise, but then updated it to current situations is Mad Max. I feel like the film with Tom Hardy and Charles What a great Theron. point, Diana. Why, thank you, Erin. That is such a... I, I didn't see the original of that one either. <laughs> um... <laughs> I feel like they brought that film, Mad Max Fury Road, um, into today's concerns and today's feminism and mm-hmm. today's eco-politics um, and the, the very real um, fears that we have right now. And they did that by, they were very intentional about it. They brought Eve Ensler on set, who came on to advise. Yeah. Um, and Charlize Theron was brought into the project and she, you know, made it very clear that she was not going to be a part of it if it, if, you know, Furiosa wasn't didn't live up to her name. Right. Um, and I mean, the two of them were cast because they didn't have any chemistry, which mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting subversion mm-hmm. of expectations of Hollywood. Yeah. They both screen tested together, her and Tom Hardy. And they had absolutely zero magnetism between the two of them. And the director was like, perfect, you're hired. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that was a film that watching it, I was like, this is something new. This is something I haven't seen before. This is a representation. That's of, what you get when you get Babe Pig in the City as one of your in your catalog of directing. See, I will preempt any of the Reddit commenters that are going to be trolling this because Mad Max was a reboot, as this is a sequel, and so they're allowed to like redefine the world a bit. But that does not mean that you cannot bring on people that can do certain things like that within the new uh, sequel of the movie. Yeah, I feel like that would have been something that would have been really good to see with Blade Runner. Yeah, I will say I did like that all the characters had bangs. That made me <laughs> that made me want to chop my hair back to my bang. I thought that was great, and I loved the um, trench coat that the hologram wore in that one scene. It was like a see-through 
trench coat. I thought her outfits were... Oh, the jackets in this were everything. Ryan Gosling's jacket was also fabulous. Yeah, I thought they did a good job styling, even though she's wearing a kimono in one of them, which is will lead us into our racist conversation. I thought it was weird that we're we're in this, like, Tokyo kind of high-escalated, like, futuristic environment, and there are no people of color to be found. Especially on the original. The yeah, but the original. so we're just going to pretend that like Asian people are like not a, not existent. No, but at one point I feel like there were like um, Japanese characters at some point, like an imagery and iconography. So we're just those people don't exist. Anyone? Nothing. I think it's like also were there any women drop. of color in this movie? Well, there were no people of color. Well, the only two <laughs> black people that they cast were like the orphan warlord right and the like druggy like like side hustler guy which i which was also super racist that those were your two representations oh yeah the guy from captain phillips yeah so great to see him i was like i'm the captain oh great let's just have you be in this like super racist i thought that was really offensive why because both so the two representation characters that you get are like racist tropes of black people i see i see okay couldn't yeah. they have made one of them one of the doctor's assistants? Or, like, we had a lot of rando white people floating around. For sure. It was, a, it was for sure a missed opportunity. And I think that... But I think this does come back to its roots. And I don't think I know enough about the original. Yeah, but if a movie is racist with love, guys, does that mean we get to continue to, like, proliferate racism in our media? No, not at all. Well, that's the answer. It's not an excuse to, like, make shit like this. I don't think. I think the, like, pseudo, but the pseudo Tokyo LA thing didn't really bother me. Well, maybe if you were from Tokyo, it would. Maybe. Thanks for, like, appropriating all of our culture and glorifying it and putting a white man at the center. We're talking about, right. like, the right. narrative of, like, the white man savior, like, way to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there are huge problems with racism and sexism in Blade Runner. It's no question. No question. It was a mess for me, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> didn't like it, hey? <laughs> Can I ask, I know you're a big fan of uh, Robin Wright. What did you think of her in this? Because you, you, haven't, you haven't spoken about her yet, so I'm just curious. Yeah, she, I thought she was great. I loved how, like... You thought she was great? Yeah, I thought she was great. I thought she, there should have been more of her. But I, I thought liked, she was so stock. I love how, like, griff, gruff and masculine and, like, how they just made her, like, a, a police chief kind of character. I thought it was fine. You didn't like she her? She was a total miss for me. Really? I thought you, they wasted you know her character and you know they didn't was, even write her lines. You know what was really bizarro though? I thought was the scene where they're in his apartment mm-hmm. and yeah. like he, she's kind of, is she kind of like trying to assault him? Yes. Mm-hmm. But then if he's a slave, like isn't he supposed to, like uh, this is where I was so confused about like what our like oppression and like layers were because like it seemed like she was coming on to him. She was. And then he was like, nah, bro. I don't know, it just felt, felt, that felt like a miss to me. It just didn't feel in line with her character because she just seemed so emotionally detached. She didn't seem like kind of that. That was a weird spot, I thought. It seemed a bit like it was, there was like contrived complexity. Like they were, because she, she's his boss and she's trying to give this frosty, you know, like, like, don't tell me that, you know, I'm the police chief demeanor. But at the same time, like she's a woman, she probably enjoys sex and things like that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was trying to perhaps add some kind of complexity to her character, but, but he in a didn't contrived like, way. But it, in like a real world, world scenario, like he would have been assaulted. So it just felt like. I don't know. Yeah, so, she should have fucked him. You're right. <laughs> I would have been on board for that scene. It, it felt probably just, cut scene. 
It felt that was weird. Didn't feel in line with her character or mm-hmm. something. I also feel like the scene where she's murdered was so contrived. I felt like she was so contrived. Yeah, it was a bit. She was like, do what you gotta do, sweetheart. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, thank you so much, Robin Wright. It's been real. I loved when she was holding the glass and she broke the glass and she's, she's like, like, still holding yeah, she's strong. like, cause, she's, cause the other woman's a replicant, you know, and she's a fucking robot and the robot's like grabbing your hand and yeah. like squeezing it. And she's just God, like, I love that nope. robot woman. Yeah. I was all for her. I was sad okay. when she died. She was the only one I was rooting for. I know that was actually kind of sad. She was she, great. She was really great. She was complex. Yeah, she was a great fleshed out character. And I thought she brought a lot to the role because Sal and I were kind of talking about like, well, why was she so sad when she saw the woman die? Like, what's her relationship to Jared? Like, because she seemed to be kind of hating him, but wanting to serve him at the same time. And I feel like a lot of that is script writing, too, of like on the page, it probably felt more static. And she brought life to that, which I felt I really connected to. She was completely in service to Wallace. Jared, Jared Leto, Leto, what have we decided is the proper pronunciation? Leto. Leto. Okay. Jared Leto's character. (laughs) Uh, she's completely in service to him because he is the new Tyrell from the original one. And the whole thing with Tyrell is Tyrell is God. He's mm-hmm. the one that makes right, the replicants right. and she is a replicant. And so he is her God. And so she is completely in service to him and probably loves him in the way that a lot of people religiously love God, you know, yeah. and they just want to show like, I'm, go- I'm, I'm doing this all for you. I'm good mm-hmm. enough for you. I want to be the best for you. And Loved things like that. that line again. It was so good. Mm-hmm. So can I ask uh, the, what you guys do best? What are your what are your notes for this? I have a lot of notes. Uh, if you're if you're up to that point, if there's and one to yeah yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana, did you have any notes? Um, I think I think pulling a Mad Max and thank you for mentioning that it was a reboot as well as you know not the same thing. Um, it doesn't give you an excuse to make a bad movie. Either way, this is true. Um, if only it was a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think I just would have brought it into today's concerns and today's conversations. Mm -hmm. I would have done better on the racial representation. I would have done better on the sexuality and objectification. Um, and I just would have made it more edgy, more real, more, um, something we haven't seen before. I felt like I had kind of already seen this movie by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you know, all of those things aside, I think we see like misogyny and racism, you know, rampant throughout our culture and our media. But I thought also from a story perspective, um, I feel like once he found out that he wasn't the child, the energy of the film shifted and kind of in a way that I felt delayed the progress of the story moving forward. So I feel like I would have, I don't know, either saved that information for the end and had that play out in a different way. I also felt like if we were going to have that one woman be the um, the child, I would have liked to have more information about her. When we found out that she was the the child, which is kind of like the savior of these robots, I didn't feel any kind of way about her. I thought she had a great scene. We had one monologue with her. I didn't feel emotionally connected, which is why I would have thought might be interesting to show the other robot girl as like the actual um, I wanted the angel to actually be the child. I thought that would have been an interesting twist of like, you know, here we have somebody who now needs to decide, are they going to serve their master or themselves? Um, so I thought that would have been kind of an interesting twist and something we would have been more open to expecting. I also thought the scenes with Harrison Ford, I didn't like that fight scene. I thought that was like really whatever, but I guess, I don't know, bros, you need to do whatever. Um, I would have liked to see them interact more or like he felt like he didn't have a purpose. 
you know, we kind of strung him along. I mean, he's a iconic actor. He was, I didn't even know he was in the original. And like, so then to have him, he's just kind of like lounging around. And then he had that scene with Jared Leto, which I thought was like, could have also, we could have skipped over that whole thing. I just thought they were using him and it didn't feel, <laughs> Ken's going to like spit out his coffee. I know I can feel something happening to the left, <laughs> left side of the room. And just I can, it's Ken like now. starting to push against. Um, but I felt like they could have used him in a different way. I, I hadn't thought about the damsel in distress thing. I think that's pretty cool. But he, again, he just kind of felt like he was, I guess maybe symbolically moving the story forward in his presence, but I didn't feel like from an action perspective, the plot, I don't know. Also, I was very confused. Why didn't we talk about the mother at all? Where was the mother? Where was his mother? Oh, I guess she died at childbirth. I don't know, guys. Well, I mean, obviously the mother was what that whole scene was about, where, where uh, Deckard and uh, Jared Leto's character, Wallace, were meeting. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, and... But again, movie. the way we're like honoring her memory is like trotting her out like a robot because she's just like she is a robot. I know, but it just again, it felt like the objectification of it. Like I, th- I, I preferred that audio clip where they were like doing the banter. Like that mm-hmm. was romantic to me. Mm-hmm. Like seeing her as a beautiful woman. It's like I don't know. It just felt a little, again, objectifying. I think that they wanted to have the shock of uh, per- perhaps. I think that having her die off ca- off camera, right? Mm-hmm. She she died in childbirth. We don't see that, right? right? We just see a picture of her. That's the first time we see Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, Sean Young's character in the film. And then we get to this scene with uh, Deckard and Wallace. And, you know, he's trying to tempt Deckard to, you know, help him out. And he brings this newly formed replicant of this, of this robot, robot he loved. And, uh, you know, shoots her point mm-hmm. blank. And I think that that was used to sort of, I, I don't know, give some, it, it was a little bit for shock value, but also like some kind of like weird, like loop of like, okay, now we, we saw her actually die. It was a, it was a weird macabre. Do we see them? I guess maybe the question is in the first one, do we see their relationship and their romance? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Very okay. Much then so. you would have wanted to see that as mm-hmm. the, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, and, and the let, scene let, can stay. <laughs> uh, and let me ask you this. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of bad, bad choices about racism, of course, and, and feminism and things like that. Things uh-huh. that were, you know, probably not taken into consideration. But there's this, uh, and, and this is not an excuse, but mm-hmm. perhaps this is just something that's uh, unique to this type of story that is not to other types of stories. Um, that you are dealing with this sort of new form of humanity and the questions of that and the objectification of that. And perhaps that being some kind of uh, uh, a stand-in for something like that. We are dealing with artificial intelligence and what is life and what is humanity with this new thing that is this other, you know, mm-hmm. this thing that we're kind of starting to deal with now and these sure. questions are bringing up. Uh, perhaps this movie didn't really, it didn't, it didn't do anything for you of bringing up the questions of that, of like, oh, what, what are these people or what are these things? Do they, what is love to them and things like that? Because Ryan Gosling is a robot. Uh-huh but he has this affair with this other lesser robot, a hologram. Is there, was that true love? What is that? Is that all programmed? Yeah, I mean, I thought there, the themes in the film like, and the things that they brought up were valid thoughts and you know, nuances. Um, but I guess my disconnection and you know, going back to kind of my first thought was like, I couldn't tell who was who or what was what. So it, that distinction of like, can a robot love or can a 
you know, replicant, blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't feel the weight of those questions because I couldn't tell who, what was going on. Mm-hmm. I just felt very lost. Let me ask you this. So uh, what th- th- this original movie was obviously like, it's, it's, a, it's a big fucking deal, right? People talk about it. It's spoken about with reverence, not to give it credence because fuck things that people say you need to know and read about and th- saying things Are like that. Are you going to say that I have to watch the original? No, I'm going to ask you, uh, was this movie, did this movie, uh, as any kind of teaser, obviously you did not like it. You didn't care for it very much. Um, but... Seeing this and this conversation and perhaps the uh, the input of people whose opinions that you hold dear, mm-hmm. do you would you ever give the original a chance? There you go. <laughs> I mean, I I would you ever give the original a chance? Yeah, I mean, I had this conversation with my husband and he was kind of like, because I was also, you know, Blade Runner aesthetic was like revolutionary when it came out and people were talking about it and the, you know, the nuances of that and you know, not to continue to drag this film deeper into the mud, but I was like, you know, we've seen these images. Like, if that was trailblazing, then the space that he brought us into now, like, I think Star Wars does a better job of, like, bringing us into a new world. I didn't feel watching this film that it was, you know, wackadoo enough. Like, I thought they could have, it could have been real weird. And if you wanted to, like, honor their, and maybe I guess they weren't, they were kind of doing the, you know, sequel and the duplicate of, like, the world, Mm -hmm. but... I don't, I don't think it would emotionally impact me in the way that it impacted people because this is futurism shit and robots and Westworld. I mean, this is stuff we're always constantly consuming. So I don't know if I would have the same reverence for it. Do you know what I mean? I do. Uh, and yeah, because it's not as fresh to us. Right. Right. This, this is well-trodden I mean, we're sleeping territory. with our robots at night, you know? If only. <laughs> our uh, phones is what I'm talking about. I think that, okay, and here's- <laughs> And <a>, our robots. <laughs> Uh, please don't joke about iRobot this Christmas. Uh, the last thing I'll say on 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 this, I guess, is just that I think the thing that this movie doesn't do that the original does is that it presents this very, very beautiful, engaging uh, package, right? It's it's very it's great to look at and it's great to talk about. There's so much to talk about with the way this thing looks and the world that they've built. Mm-hmm. I think what the original does better is that once you get under all of that stuff and you can actually get to the plot and the story that you're talking about, the original, while it has surely has its issues because it was made in 1981, mm-hmm. uh, there it does a better job of presenting the ambiguity and the questions of like what is life and having this romantic relationship and and what is humanity and what is humanity to androids and to even to us and to questions of religion and things like that. It does a better job of presenting that underlying plot and story of like, it doesn't, it's still slow in pacing, but -hmm. perhaps because it presents all of those questions better, you're left lingering like, oh, you're thinking about that a little bit more. And so it uh, better supplements that. That's what I'll say. That's my argument for the original. All right. Well, we'll see if that, (laughs) we'll we'll see what happens. I'll keep you guys posted if I ever venture down that path. Diana, would you recommend that I watch the original? Is that going to change my mind at all? No. I think, I think that... I think you should watch the original as someone who likes to make films. Uh-huh. And as someone who is very interested in the mechanics and the production mm-hmm. of visual media. Yeah. I think that it's an important film in what it did for technology in film. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Ken was saying, you know, it's, it's revered. So it's like any it's like any one of the greats. Sure. You don't have to watch them. Yeah. Um, in order to understand and participate in the industry, but it's always good, I think, to revisit and, and look at what they're doing. 
Totally. Cool. Well, sorry, guys. You know what? Maybe next time. It's all right. The stars will align and we'll get back on the where, wherever we're supposed to be going. What are you excited for, Erin? Um, I'm going to keep watching Shit's Creek. <laughs> I'm going to keep listening to that Kanye West podcast. Um, you know, just getting into all the things. Superstore is back. I'm really excited about um, The Good Place is back uh, and that show with um, – we, we did this last time too where I couldn't remember any of the actors' names. Kristen Bell. Oh, yeah. Ted Danson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, – but the, the theme this season is very wacky. And it's really off the rails, and I'm praying for it because it's a fun show, and I hope they can lock into a plot. They keep resetting, like, what the it's going to be about, and this is, like, the third season – or third episode, and so I'm praying for the good place. Good to know you have Aaron Bagwell on your side. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, thanks, Diana. Thanks, Ken, for joining thanks, us on Kent. Throwing in your trailblazer. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate them. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first bullet. Burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The la- Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!